You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you're a 415-er, 415 you're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the 415ers podcast, coming at you three times a week, as always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy, of course, encouraging you, as always, to download, rate, and subscribe. Five stars are much appreciated. Mark, how are you doing? Middle of the week as the Niners get set for their trip to Mexico uh, to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I'm doing well. We we here on the 415ers, of course, in San Francisco. The Niners, though, already in Colorado. They're no, they're not, they're not playing the Broncos again. They are just getting ready for the Mexico City elevation. So they're practicing this week in Colorado, uh, getting ready for that elevation. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for another episode of the 415ers. Excited for another primetime 49er game on Monday night. This time should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think they're actually, it's like in Colorado Springs, right? They're practicing around the Air Force area, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, John Lynch, who played a lot of his uh, his career in Denver, might be happy to go out there with the team. Kyle Shanahan, I'm sure, spent a lot of time in Denver under his dad, Mike, who was the head yeah. coach for the Broncos. Uh, excited to be there as well. And we are excited to be coming at you, as always, on the 415ers. Uh, so where we want to start today, Mark, is kind of where we picked up at the tail end of Monday's reaction episode to the 22-16 win over the Chargers. 49ers are now four, uh, five and four. They're above 500. They have back-to-back wins for the first time. Um, but one thing that sort of stood out that I felt was the most critique-worthy part of the game was the lack or inability to cash in in the red zone. And as you kind of pointed out on the episode and as we've been talking about it in between pods, like it wasn't just the fact that the Niners got into the twenties, but it's the fact that they were down to the 10 to the five yard line. They were basically knocking on the door on five different trips to the red zone within the 10 yard line. And they came away with only two touchdowns and three field goals. And something that Kyle Shanahan, I, I don't, I don't consider him necessarily a combative uh, press conference person, but he is certainly like inquisitive. If you ask him a question, he'll sometimes kind of take a second, maybe ask a follow-up, try and figure out why you're asking this because someone asked him, I, I believe it was Eric Branch of the San Francisco Chronicle asked him, you know, if what, like why they weren't clicking in the red zone basically. And Kyle Shanahan's response was, well, if we had scored three touchdowns instead of kicking three field goals, we would have over 30 points and we would have been clicking. But the fact remains they only had 22 on the board. They set up for three field goals. Did, did you feel like even just watching the game that the red zone offense was sort of struggling for San Francisco? 
yeah, I, I don't know how you could say it didn't. I mean, you got into the red zone five times and you scored two touchdowns and those field goals that you settled for were, you know, really close to the end zone, as you mentioned, like not all red zone appearances are created equal. Like you get to the 19 yard line, the drive stalls there. That's different than when you get down to the two, like those are not the same thing. And I think when you consider all of the success that the 49ers had offensively, I mean, we talked about it a lot last episode, just from a box score perspective, final score aside, it was a dominant 49ers win. I mean, the the number of yards that they gained, all the first downs they got, the time of possession. I mean, everything except for the score pointed towards a blowout win and a lot of points scored for the 49ers. So I think it's not only the number of drives. It's not only where those drives stalled, again, generally inside the 10, even inside the five. Uh, it's also just the ease with which they moved the ball for most of that game up until that point, up until they got in goal-to-go situations, I think it's it's certainly more than fair to say that that red zone offense was not working very well. And, and maybe the red zone offense isn't even specific enough. Maybe it's specifically the goal-to-go offense once you get within 10 yards. And generally, that's where it gets more difficult. I mean, you have... Uh, less space to work with you know it's it's a shorter more compact field at that moment you can't stretch the defense out as much um but still you should be scoring more than than two of of uh, five trips into the red zone so you mentioned eric branch asking the question i think certainly a very fair question and uh, yeah the offense did well overall had a really good game when you you know don't consider those those red zone mishaps uh and i think you know that that overall success of the offense probably makes you wonder or, or maybe notice the red zone struggles more because it was really the one area that the offense just did not quite do that well. Well, especially with, I, I think both of the the drives that were really on the door that drew the most critique from fans, from, from media members was the final in front of me that well the first drive of the game and then the final drive of the game yeah. when they end up, picking up like, you know, four first downs on the first drive. They go 14 plays, 67 yards. They take up seven and a half minutes right out of the gate. Quintessential 49ers drive. They run the ball. They convert on third downs. They shove the ball right down the Chargers throat after giving up a touchdown on defense. And then instead of going up to tie the game, you know, I don't think I necessarily disagree with the decision to take the points that early. But I think what people had issue with was the third down call, which was just kind of a shotgun give to McCaffrey without any sort of juice in the backfield. When the Chargers, even though they hadn't lost the defensive lineman they did uh, throughout the game, they're pretty weak up front. And it just seemed like that was a chance for San Francisco early on in the game to establish, like, we're here, we're going to run the ball. And they certainly did throughout the game. Uh, 40 rushes, Kyle Shanahan 8-0 and now in his time with San Francisco when they do that. Um, so it obviously works. It turns into results, but there was just so many chances for them to extend and separate themselves from a Chargers team that was like asking, just almost begging to be put away. And I mean, in the second half, you get the ball at the what six yard line after a you know downs by the Chargers with a minute seventeen left. You basically run you know three plays. You don't get too much further at all uh or sorry you get down from the six pardon me from the eight to the two yard line and of course that's where Kyle Shanahan opts to not go forward on fourth down it's as much as 
like the ineffectiveness within that 10, five yard range, as well as also, I, I, I'm just not sure where I, I see Kyle Shanahan on the aggression scale because like he, he had a chance to go for it on both fourth downs and to me made maybe one correct decision, but the other, uh, it just doesn't really make any sense. Like it, it how like the identity the identity of this team is defense first and running and there's an incongruity right now to me between the play calling and what the team's strengths are like i would hope that if Kyle Shanahan's in another position like that at the end of the game i know he said they they moved back from the 1 to the 2 otherwise they would have gone forward on fourth down but like to me that's that like that's an opportunity for you to basically put the game away, something you haven't done because you can't cash in in the red zone to that point. Like there's absolutely absolutely an issue there that the 49ers need to address because there's going to be some teams, unlike the Chargers, that are not banged up. That if you let them hang around, are going to make you pay for settling for field goals. And one of those teams might even be this upcoming Monday night against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals team that has had your number in recent regular seasons. Well, I want to play out your scenario there for a moment. So end of the game after that Chargers turnover on downs, you're up by three. What about a minute left? Um, Chargers are using all their timeouts. So they'll have no timeouts left with the ball, whether they get it after a field goal, whether they get it after a touchdown, whether they get it after a turnover on downs, if you go for it or not. So let's let's play out one, okay, how it actually happened. The field goal is up and good. Niners up by six. Chargers ball from the 25-yard line. They need to touchdown us. They need to go 75 yards, uh, assuming a touchback back to the 25-yard line. They need to go 75 yards to win the game, or at the very least, force overtime. If you go for it on fourth down, and let's just assume you don't get it, because that's the risk you run. You're still up by three points. Chargers have the ball at the two-yard line. They need to get only in field goal range now. So what? You need to say they need to get to the 35-yard line to have a a 52-yard field goal attempt? They need to move the ball about 63 yards down the field. So if you're looking just at well, but re- yards, remember also Dicker earlier in the game barely put a 47 yard field goal true. through the post. Like that, that's, that's your true. backup. That's a backup kicker on the other side. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. And you know, there's certainly a challenge in moving the ball from the two that isn't there for moving the ball from the 25. That's certainly part of it as well. But my only point is, I think that the the risk reward you know, whichever way you play it out is relatively similar. And I could make the case that, you know, me kicking the field goal, uh, making it a six point lead is also trusting my defense because I trust my defense to keep them out of the end zone. I mean, I think that could be part of it as well. I, I, I agree with you. I think the, the first one, uh, you know, in the first quarter, their first possession is certainly more clearly, <clears throat> excuse me, the right decision to take the points at that point of the game. I think the one, uh, you know, at the end of the game that we're talking about here is a little more a gray area for me personally. Um, but I also agree with you, something you said earlier, kind of about the the aggression, maybe not necessarily on fourth down, but earlier in drives. Um, I mean, you mentioned the third and goal from the two, and it was simply a, a shotgun snap and a handoff uh, to Christian McCaffrey. Before that, interestingly enough, it was second and goal from the nine out of the shotgun. Debo Samuel was lined up on the left hip of, uh, uh, pardon me, of Garoppolo. McCaffrey on the right hip. 
and they moved McCaffrey in motion from the right behind Jimmy Garoppolo around to the left to bring a defender with him. They then handed off to Debo, and he has a nice seven-yard gain up to the two, setting up that third and goal from the two-yard line, where they then ran a very similar play. It was McCaffrey in the backfield in a shotgun for Garoppolo. Debo Samuel was lined up in the slot to the right. He comes in motion right to left, bringing a defender with him, and they hand it off to Christian McCaffrey, who, again, gets nothing, and they ultimately kick the field goal. So maybe the the, the issue, at least in my opinion, might not be the the decision or or – you know, the decision to go for it or not on fourth down, but it's maybe that you essentially ran the same play on third or pardon me on second and third down third and goal. Uh, just, you know, you handed it off to McCaffrey instead of Debo. I mean, it was really the same exact play with the formation, the two guys involved in the play McCaffrey and Debo. One got one carry one got the other. I think the issue maybe is more so how you're calling those plays leading up to a potential fourth down decision rather than, the actual fourth down decision itself. Whether it's the decision, whether it's the play calling, I don't think it's unfair to say that the four Niners are not clicking in the red zone. And it wasn't just against the chargers. They've been in the red zone 31 times this year. They have converted 17 of those opportunities into touchdowns. That's about 55% that it's pretty middle of the pack in the NFL, technically on the bottom half of that side of the league. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they're also 18th in total points scored. And that's a Chargers team that even though they are advertised as explosive due to their quarterback, they also are pretty middle of the pack when it comes to points scored this year because of their lack of weapons right now. So that's a team where you're not necessarily expecting them to, to maybe score 24 against you or whatever their average is. They scored below that. But if there's a team that you're facing in the future that can put up points and that can cash in in red zone opportunity and red zone trips, you are going to have to do that as well. And so I don't really understand Kyle Shanahan refuting the fact that his red zone offense was not clicking because to me, it was very clear that it was, I understand there's five trips to the red zone, but if you get on the doorstep of your opponent and you have a chance to put them away early, I know they fell behind technically, you know, seven, nothing out of the gate, but they get, their first crack on offense and they get a chance to score, that's a chance you should convert into a touchdown because there are going to be teams that you play in the future, maybe during the regular season, maybe in the playoffs, but at some point down the line that are going to make you pay for turning two yard line opportunities in the red zone into field goals. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, it's something that this team absolutely needs to be, to be better at. They were, you know, the, the, their numbers throughout the years have kind of fluctuated. They haven't, you know, they've they've more often than not been a middle of the pack red zone offense than a good one. Interestingly enough, kind of just looking at the numbers and, and doing some number crunching, you mentioned they're about 55% converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns, which again is right around middle of the pack, a little towards the bottom half. Uh, at home, interestingly enough, they have an absolutely disgusting 37 and a half percent, you know, conversion rate from red zone into touchdowns at home, sub 40 percent on the road. They're up over 73 percent. So just an absolutely wild number there. I, I have no clue what that means. I think it's probably more just a relatively small sample size. And they've had. So you're saying they're choke artists at home. 
<laughs> Somehow. I mean, the they fans don't like are to being, score for the Levi faithful. <laughs> the, the fans are being too loud down there in one of the corners of the end zone. They're not letting their offense think and, and uh, you know, think in silence. I, I don't know what's they, going they on. They got to go to a silent count. I think that's what we've discovered at this point. At home. Oh, just like the Rams down in SoFi, huh? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Especially with all those powder blue Chargers jerseys, every one per section. That was just <laughs> deafening at Levi's Stadium. Yeah. So I don't know what what to make of that. I think just in general, they, they need to be better home or away, clearly. I mean, the numbers suggest that they're pretty good uh, on the road right now, interestingly enough. I mean, if you extrapolated that 73% conversion rate that Niners have on the road, if you just looked at that as maybe their entire season's worth of uh, turning red zone appearances into touchdowns, that would rank them third best in the NFL behind only Tennessee and Kansas City. So uh, they're certainly capable of it. It's just they've had games, uh, specifically at home for some reason, like this one on Sunday, where they just uh, they can't quite punch it in. Shanahan probably is a little more conservative than other teams would be in those you know, fourth and goal scenarios. Part of that is because he doesn't have a star quarterback uh, like a, a Patrick Mahomes, like a Josh Allen, like even a Jalen Hurts. Uh, but still, uh, I, I think they can be better leading up to that fourth down to avoid a fourth down entirely and, and get it into the end zone earlier. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, do not avoid downloading, rating, and subscribing to the 415ers podcast. Five stars are appreciated coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings and Mark Randy with you as always. But isn't that why you you went out and got Christian McCaffrey? I mean, you went out and got and have surrounded Jimmy Garoppolo with guys that have a nose for the end zone. I know Elijah Mitchell got three cracks on that final um, you know, push to try and get in the end zone before the field goal that put them up six, which turned out to be the final difference. But, you know, Debo Samuel scored double-digit touchdowns last year. Um, Brandon Ayuk has shown an ability to get open in tight spaces. George Kittle, I know he hasn't scored a ton of touchdowns throughout his career, but he's certainly someone that can create separation and and, and muscle a secondary member if you also have a bunch of other guys that demand attention. So it's it's something to pay attention to. And who knows, maybe like Mark is laying out, uh, maybe this upcoming week against Arizona where they're not in Santa Clara, uh, <laughs> they're going to cash in on three of their four red zone trips for touchdowns. But this kind of takes us to our, our next point, which is a, a look at the 49ers being, you know, more of a physical football team than an explosive one. I think they've been explosive at times, like that, actually, the the first drive out of this the out of the locker room at half to me was was an explosive drive. I know they didn't air it out and throw fifty yard bombs, but they picked up chunk plays. They just they gashed the Chargers on the ground, a couple of screens, quick passes for 10, 12, 13 yards. McCaffrey up the middle. There was a sense of explosion, but 
that all stems from their physicality and then leaning on the Chargers and a lot of teams in the first half of football games running the football and establishing who they are as a physical offense, as well as, of course, the hard-hitting defense that they bring to every single football game. So, like, what what is better, I guess? Because I, I think the Chiefs, to me, are are the definition of a, an explosive team, obviously manned by Patrick Mahomes. But sometimes in in tough weather games, in tight games, I, I do wonder whether fans would rather have a, a physical, uh, more imposing football team than one that can, you know, light up the scoreboard every th- three weeks, but may also be flat because they can get pushed around. Yeah, and this was, uh, you know, something that we wanted to talk about after hearing what what Michael Irvin said on 95.7 The Game on on Monday reacting to the 49ers win because a lot of the discussion, and it was even something that Jimmy Garoppolo was asked post-game was, you know, why didn't you guys score more points? Like, what would you say to the fan who's upset that you only scored 22 points, that you struggled in the red zone like we were talking about earlier? And he was like, well, we, we got the win. That's what's most important. But what Michael Irvin said was uh, – Every team, of course, wants to have an explosive offense. Like, that's the dream. But being a physical offense that can wear you down over time is better, and it's more important than being explosive. Ideally, you're both. I mean, that's that's the dream. And maybe you could consider the Buffalo Bills somewhat that. They have an explosive offense, and Josh Allen certainly delivers a, a type of physicality, but they don't really have the the physical run game to to kind of, work in tandem with that i wouldn't call the kansas city chiefs as 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 physical you mentioned they're very explosive they do have a good offensive line but they don't really have kind of that that grinder in the backfield that will give them some yards travis kelsey certainly is physical but i think this is this is something that's interesting because a lot of maybe casual observers of football and general 49er fans nfl fans they see all these crazy highlights. They see Justin Jefferson with a, an incredible catch on fourth and 18. And man, I wish we had an explosive receiver like that. I wish that our quarterback could just unleash a perfect spiral 55 yards down the field, right into the breadbasket of Stefan Diggs. Man, I wish we had something like that. And the truth is there aren't many players like that. And the Niners, maybe don't have that one game breaker who can get you a 60 yard touchdown every so often. But what they do have is an offensive identity that will wear down teams as games go on, as seasons go on. And it's not going to be the most sexy thing. It's not going to catch as many eyes as a Justin Jefferson highlight, but what it's going to do. And we saw this on Sunday against the chargers. And this was even more apparent in that game because the chargers were so depleted, especially up front on the defensive line. They had no one. They could even sub in at the end of that game. But what what you're going to see with this 49ers offense and how physical they are is they are going to dominate lines of scrimmage in the second half of games, specifically in fourth quarters, specifically in playoff games. They will control the line of scrimmage. They will can be able to get an extra yard or two on every carry because they're running backs, Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, they are going to be taking defenders with them. Those defenders after plays, hands on hips. They're going to be winded. The Niners are coming at them again. And this is why a physical offense, according to Michael Irvin, is 
that much more important than being explosive because you're going to be able to wear teams down. You're going to be able to dominate second halves. You're going to be able to win close games towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. The Niners are designed ex- you know, that way on purpose. They are a physical offense that's trying to wear you down over time. Maybe it's not something that catches too many eyes early in a season or throughout the course of a regular season, but it's going to be a big reason why this team has success and why not many teams are going to want to play them once, you know, the postseason rolls around. Yeah, I'm with you. A couple things. I I honestly still have questions about their offensive line. And later in in the episode, I do want to hand out uh, some flowers to one member of the offensive line I think has stepped up this year. But I do question just because of the lack of experience, um, particularly in the trenches. I know Trent Williams makes up for a lot. I know that they helped the offensive line with Kittle, with Juszczyk. Um, I think their wide receivers are also good blockers. But to me, it's it's. I think there's still a little bit of wait and see for me, uh, especially in the run game. One one quick thing though, Mark, and I I, I just got to I got to say this. You, you brought up Justin Jefferson. You brought up Stephon <laughs> Diggs. Stephon Diggs made a better catch. Over okay, the here we go. I'm I'm sorry, man. Look, Justin Jefferson's catch was more important to the game. Obviously, it kept the Vikings alive. They ended up going to win the game, even though Josh Allen can't hike a ball at his own one-yard line, even though he throws red zone interceptions uh, left and right throughout the game. Regardless, the Vikings won. Justin Jefferson was a big part of that. Stephon Diggs made the better catch. The ball was plucked out of the air with one hand. Justin Jefferson had the ball caught by the defensive back and then ripped it from him. If that throw was made and no one was in the area, it would have hit Jefferson in the palm of his hand and it would have in all likelihood fallen down to the deck. Stephon Diggs made the better catch, in my opinion. I know that that may be, uh, as you described to me earlier, a freezing cold take, but I'm willing to wear it because (laughs) Stephon Diggs made the better catch, in my opinion, even though it wasn't in the bigger spot. I get what you're saying. Like There there was that you know, aspect of the defensive back by trying to catch it himself actually helped out. And by the way, it's fourth and 18. The better thing is to not catch it because uh, it's a turnover on downs anyways. But I guess that's beside the point. I certainly under- understand what you're saying and that the defensive back might have helped Justin Jefferson keep that ball up in the air before he eventually wrapped, uh, you know, pulled it away. Uh, but I got to stick with the fact uh, that it was a fourth and 18 they don't get it. They lose the game. Uh, the, the the digs catch was also, I think it was in the fourth it was quarter. On a, and it was on a third down, I believe. And I mean, it was a huge like third, moment in the game. 13 at, or something. At that point, you felt, oh, that catch, okay, Bills win. So, I mean, that was also a huge catch. Uh, but fourth and 18 on the road, the underdog team, I don't know. I mean, I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with Justin Jefferson. That one was, I mean, they're both incredible catches. I'm not sure I've ever seen, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but, but that Stefan Diggs catch, I mean, just the the one hand, like just plucked it nowhere near anyone. It, like it was one of the more more clean one handed catches I've seen. I mean, it was it was remarkable in its own right. Yeah, there are different degrees of difficulty. I just had to I had to throw that out there. But I, I but I also wanted to bring it up because to me, I know you referenced the Bills as, as a team that have you know kind of the the best blend of explosion and physicality. To me, in the NFC, the Vikings would be that team. I know that the Eagles yeah, are point. are the team with the best record, uh, but to me, the Vikings, their their defense is a little more bend but don't break than than obviously San Francisco's. But 
with the bruising ability of Dalvin Cook to run the ball, with the explosiveness of Justin Jefferson, who uh, unfortunately with Jamar Chase out for an extended period of time, to me is would be the best receiver in football. Um, and Kirk Cousins is good enough to move the ball down the field. They got weapons, including now TJ Hawkinson. Uh, they got a pretty good set of secondary and third wide receivers. I, I just feel like if we're looking at you know teams that have a bit of both, even though I, I do agree that the Niners style of play is one that travels better potentially in a postseason setting especially if there's inclement conditions they have different ways to beat you with their physicality i think the vikings would be the nfc team that i would pick to have kind of that that hybrid um being right in the middle of both explosive while also being able to play physically yeah i think i'd probably agree with you i think the, the first two that come to mind are the eagles and the vikings maybe the eagles aren't quite as explosive but aj brown uh, has been pretty good as a downfield threat. Jalen Hurts, maybe not as accurate of a deep ball thrower uh, than than Kirk Cousins, I, I guess. I, I'm not, I don't feel great about saying that, but uh, some of the other uh, elites and, and more explosive offenses and, and the quarterbacks leading them. And I think it's it's probably no surprise, I mean, that if, if you were to ask anyone, any fan of the NFL, if you were to, to look at the odds on, on Vegas – uh, who are the the teams most likely to be in the NFC Championship game? Uh, right now, it's probably Eagles, Vikings, Niners, and there's it, probably no surprise because those are probably the most well-rounded offenses in the league right now. I mean, the other division leader, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have absolutely zero run game. I mean, they do have a good passing game. It hasn't quite been as effective this year as in years past. Part of that is probably because Opposing teams don't respect their run game at all and are just solely trying to stop the pass. Uh, but I think there's something to the fact that the more physical offenses generally tend to, to be the best teams towards end of seasons and in, into postseasons because, as you mentioned, it's something that travels better, that's more consistent, that you can rely on more often than not. Um, and I would feel pretty comfortable saying that the NFC you know, championship matchup right now very well could feature two of those three teams. Yeah, and one thing I also do want to keep an eye on is is how the Niners' injuries, obviously you never want to have them, but the fact that they have sort of gotten them out of the way early in the season. Knock on and are, Well, yeah, hopefully. But are, <laughs> but are, are, are basically replenishing you know, the, their starting positions on both sides of the football slowly but surely towards the part of the year where you need those guys. Um you know, I, I like look, there, there's never a great time to have an injury. Uh, but I do think that in a weird way, it, it could help them down the line with how everyone is sort of going to be aligned. I mean, I'd imagine Armstead's going to come back in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully Kinlaw does so as well. Yeah. Um, but then you get enough time to reintegrate those guys back into your system, get them enough repetitions games all together so you can finally get an idea of the big picture piece that the Niners could be down the road uh want to remind everyone to download rate and subscribe to the 415ers podcast as always coming to you on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network we're on social media Twitter Instagram at the 415ers I'm on social at Gettings 10 Mark is on social at Mark Grandy Mark with a C Grandy with an I uh and and speaking of a lot of bodies that the Niners are getting back. Well, they also have a lot of bodies right now on offense that I think we saw a challenge posed against Los Angeles being 
if this is a team that is going to play physically, and if this is a team that is going to try and wear down opponents and maybe not blow out the opposition, but try and win those tight, hard-fought games, there's going to be a lot of guys at skill positions that are going to be left unfed, so to speak, with a lot of mouths to feed there. Debo Samuel, of course, was, I think, exhibit A against Los Angeles. Who knows what he was dealing with coming back from injury, uh, whether or not that was the reason he didn't get the ball that much. I believe he had four rushes on the ground, uh, two catches on six targets. But as the number one receiver on this team entering the year, he kind of got phased out a bit. Um, we tossed this around a little bit when McCaffrey came in and then last week, of course, coming off of the bye week. But like, do the 49ers just have too many mouths to feed on offense for fans to feel satisfied on a week-in and week-out basis? I mean, I, I think it probably depends on, you know, kind of a game-by-game -game basis, you know, what happened in a specific one. I think, you know, this Chargers game, it was ultimately a win. But as we kind of talked about earlier with the red zone inefficiency, it was still kind of a frustrating win because you knew that, you know, it could have easily been a double-digit win. It, you know, this is a, a Niners team that probably – played better than than a six-point margin I mean it came down to the fourth quarter Niners did not take the lead in, until relatively late in that game so I think there's a bit of frustration there and then as a result you kind of look down the box score and say wow well Debo Samuel only two catches George Kittle only one catch like that's an issue that that has to be better um, but I think it's kind of on a case-by-case -case basis and I think specifically for Debo Samuel it, it kind of present something similar and I know the, these players aren't on the you know same level and and what you know Debo Samuel has accomplished specifically last year is is of a higher level and, and more impressive but I, I kind of relate this to what's happening with with Jordan Poole on the basketball court for the Warriors right now it's kind of this offseason was an opportunity for the rest of the league to kind of grind the tape on this you know this new guy you know, Jordan Poole had a fantastic season last year, was a really big part of the Warriors winning a championship. In this similar way, Debo Samuel kind of took the NFL by storm last year, was this kind of new hybrid weapon. You know, he, he called it a wide back, a running back and a running, uh, a running back and a wide receiver. Uh, obviously, uh, again, I, I think what Debo did last year, more impressive than what Jordan Poole did last year. But again, it, it allowed offense or defense as opposing teams to kind of key in on that guy, those two guys specifically, and try to, you know, scheme up new ways to take them away, to limit them. And we're seeing, I think, in real time, live, both these guys, Zebo Samuel and Jordan Poole, try to react and evolve their game so that they can be effective once again against these defenses. It's something that Steve Kerr has said multiple times about Jordan Poole. Well, now he's, you know, he's being defended differently. Opposing teams are putting their best defenders on him. Now he has to adjust. With Debo Samuel, he hasn't been as effective in the run game. So it's up to him. It's up to the rest of the team, to, to Kyle Shanahan, to help scheme him up uh, in better ways, in different ways, to kind of adjust to the adjustment. So I think in that regard, uh, I mean, Debo Samuel hasn't been the most effective with the ball in his hands right now. Someone like Brandon Ayuk has been better, probably because the defense is so focused on trying to take Debo Samuel away. I think there's a bit of that in this, and maybe it takes the Niners a little bit longer than ideally they would hope to adjust to these adjustments. 
But I think once they do and, and they're able to uh, find a way to, to scheme him open a little bit more, we're going to see his touches increase. But, I mean, right now, considering the fact that he hasn't been too terribly effective you know, on his touches, I mean, what would you prefer, force-feeding something that isn't working quite well or, you know, giving the ball to what the defense is allowing you to do and, and having that be the reason you move the ball? I would prefer that he gets open. That that's the ideal one. Yeah. But I mean, you have to credit defenses at a certain point as well. I mean, they're certainly doing a good job to limit him. That's true. But I also saw the chargers line up Asante Samuel jr. Who is their de facto number one corner because of JC Jackson's broken kneecap on Brandon Ayuk, who had seven catches for 80 something yards. The chargers also played a lot of zone. Um, they, they, they disguise things a little bit differently than most teams just because they are so banged up. So maybe it's not a fair example, but I also think Debo Samuel was a first-team All-Pro receiver last year. Like yeah. I know he was a wide back, and you know that kind of changed the trajectory of the Niners' season after Week Nine. But he had fourteen hundred receiving yards. Like like Debo Samuel was a was a damn good wide receiver last year. In addition, of course, to being a running back, like that. I, I that that's the most perplexing thing to me about it because. With Christian McCaffrey coming in, sure, that takes some of Debo's rushes away. But I also thought that that was something that he didn't necessarily want to do as much while he was negotiating his contract over the course of the summer, that he was worried about getting banged up the way injuries had sort of followed him early in his career. I know he's willing to do whatever it takes to win the game, but I do also see him being sort of the odd man out at this point which is weird considering he is your number one and he w- is paid to be your number one. He is paid like a number one receiver. So I, I, look, I, I'm not saying that Debo Samuel has to have, uh, you know, 15 targets against the Cardinals on Monday night. He's got to catch 10 balls for 120 yards, but I do look at, okay, on third down, who is Jimmy Garoppolo looking at? He's looking more at Brandon Ayuk and even against the Chargers, Jawan Jennings, yep. more than Debo Samuel. I don't know if maybe that's just a good problem to have that he can be at this point, you know, maybe your number one wide receiver on one day. He can be Debo the decoy on another day. But I, I just I just wonder why he's the guy that gets left out of this offensive equation when he was the guy who last year carried the offense to a conference championship. I do think one thing, um, I mean, Debo Samuel, there was all that noise that you're kind of referencing that he doesn't want to have to, you know, carry as much of a burden, specifically running the ball. He's worried about overuse and injuries and how that might, you know, shorten his career and and thereby maybe, you know, lessen the amount of money that he may, may be able to make over his career as a football player. Uh, he When he first spoke to the media after signing that new contract extension, he was asked about that. And he was like, no, I, I have no issues with the wide back role. Like, I love it. I, I love doing that sort of thing. I just, you know, I was advised, you know, not to, to speak on anything really while the whole negotiation process was happening. So I think he's totally fine with getting his touches. Well, he's, fi- he's fine now that he's compensated for getting those touches. Yes, yes. Like, but, but but if he was making fifteen million dollars a year instead of twenty two or twenty four, I don't think he would be as satisfied because he's putting his body in more harm's way. Probably, I mean, yeah, I I would agree with that. I do also think that there's a part of, I don't know, I I think 
we maybe all just kind of oversimplified, you know, you, you see all this talent, you have Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk, and you have the bye week. It kind of coincides at a perfect time. You get more healthy. You have all these weapons and, you know, it's probably, you know, not nearly as easy and a lot more complex than we make it seem in terms of, you know, how an offensive mind like Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, kind of learns to use all these weapons. I think you probably would have liked to see, you know, again, more efficiency in the red zone, but this is still an offense that moved the ball a lot against the Chargers. I mean, just look at uh, the yards in this game. I mean, 387 yards, that's nothing to scoff at. It was a good day offensively for the 49ers, but it's probably more complex than, you know, just a simple, all right, it was a bye week. You have lots of time to get ready for it, Kyle. You have all these offensive weapons. Like, it's going to take some, uh, you know, a bit of an adjustment period. You're going to see what works, what works better than other things, what fails, how you can improve off of a certain schematic thing that you saw against the Chargers, how you now deploy that against the Arizona Cardinals. I think it's a lot more complex than just saying, all right, we have this talent. We're off a bye. We have all this new new stuff implemented into our playbook. Let's go out, and it's going to click immediately. It, it probably is going to take a little bit more time and some adjusting here and there after a week, after you saw something fail, after you saw it do well, how you can add on to it. I, I'm sure that is what's happening You know, with Kyle Shanahan and the rest of the offensive staff right now. How do you make something more effective, even though it was already relatively effective the first time out? I think we will see kind of, uh, you know, the offense build off of each week's performance from here on out because everything that Kyle Shanahan is trying to do right now with all these weapons is new. Maybe he's he's dreamed of these scenarios in the past, but he's never really been able to do it in practice, in reality, in a game. So I think we'll see uh, maybe some of these issues dissipate a little bit as you get more and more experience with all these weapons. Sure, but... Let me ask you this. Run, receiving, whatever. Who, who's the best playmaker on the, on the Niners right now? Christian McCaffrey. I agree. Who's the second best playmaker on the Niners right now? Debo Samuel. Okay. He was fifth in, in, in touch. Like Elijah Mitchell got 18 carries. That's understandable. That's the identity of this team, to run the football, to wear people down, to lean on you so that in the fourth quarter you have nothing left like the Chargers did, and even though they were within a score, it didn't feel like they were. I'm looking at Brandon Ayuk, who's getting the ball more through the air. I'm looking at Juwan Jennings, who seems to be more trusted on third down. I mean, I'm Debo lo- did have six six touches. I know four of them were on the ground, but six touches, I mean, that's tight. What, for, I, I think one was an third. overthrow. What, there, was, there was one that Jimmy probably should have hit Debo on uh, across over the middle, but like that's... I want the football to be in the hands of the guys that can do the most damage. And to me, Debo is too creative and explosive, improvisational of a player to not get the football. Like, I understand that they won the game, and this is a process-based team. But there are going to be points in the season, regular or post, in which you're going to have to toss out the game plan in which you're going to have to play a little backyard football. And to me, Debo is your second best guy at doing that. And he's the guy that you can rely on on the road in a playoff game. 
He's the guy who you can rely on to dig you out of a hole. You can get him the ball and he could take it 50 yards to the house from behind the line of scrimmage. He can also, uh, you know, beat you down the field. I just want to see more creativity from Kyle Shanahan and the play calling from the 49ers that can extract what we saw last year. Maybe not, you know, the, the 1600 total yards or 13 touchdowns from Samuel that we got, but somewhere in the middle. Cause right now market just ain't it. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I'm right there with you. I, I would love to see, you know, more explosive Debo Samuel, but I will also rewind to a year ago and let's try to think, you know, go back in our minds and think what the conversation was around Debo Samuel towards the end of the regular season last year when he was just willing the Niners to victory. He would seem to have an incredible rushing touchdown every single week, and everyone in the football community just could not believe it, it that what was happening. And then, you know, he did it in the playoffs against the the Cowboys, against the not, not as much against the Packers because that was just kind of a slog of a game and not, not much offense, but certainly did it as well against the Rams in the NFC Championship game. The conversation was, oh, my God, you are going to drive Debo Samuel into the ground. Stop giving him all those touches. And the reality was last year, uh, I mean, what else were they going to do? They did not have, you know, all these offensive weapons. They were injured, you know, running the ball. I mean, Elijah Mitchell was hurt. That's why Debo Samuel really was featured as a wide back, you know, towards the end of the regular season. And they stuck with it because it was working so well into the playoffs. But that was the conversation, and, and it got to a point in the offseason where it was, oh, my God, you used him so much that he wants out. I mean, I, I know that there's a medium here where it's it's not to that point where you're worried about overuse and, and injuring a guy. And, you know, above, you know, he only gets, you know, two c- catches in a game. Like, there's there's a medium there. But there is certainly a level t- to the fact where you also don't want to overuse one of your best star weapons in week 10 of the regular season, because you're worried about what the future might hold. If you do use him too much, there's, there's something here about playing your cards too early. And I'm I'm not saying that it excuses the fact that he only had two catches. I mean, he did have six targets and some of them were Debo's fault. Some of them were Jimmy's fault. Sure. But I think there's also a bit of the fact that Kyle Shanahan knows now with the offense that he has and the weapons that he has beyond Debo Samuel, he does not need to rely on him as much as he did last year. And we'll probably see more of Debo Samuel when the games mean more, because that's just simply the type of player that he is. To that, I would say Christian McCaffrey had 28 touches last week. I know that Debo wasn't in. I know Juwan Jennings wasn't in, but Kittle was there. Ayuk was there. You had other running backs that could alleviate some of that pressure you're talking about on a guy who also has had injury history, maybe not uh, actually more so even than Debo, but they didn't do that. And in fact, it was a game that was less in question than the Chargers game. So I don't, it's, it's just something I'm keeping an eye on, Mark. And I, I'm very, I'm more, I'm more curious than aggravated that Debo Samuel seems to be the odd man out at this point, even though he's paid to be your go-to guy. So it's just something I'm tracking moving forward. So am I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I said all that, but I do agree that I think that what's best for the 49er offense is more touches for Debo Samuel, because he's just that explosive and and incredible of a football player. And uh, you know, for me, I, I, it doesn't really matter how many of those touches are runs versus, 
catches. I think probably we'll see, you know, him maybe go back to a little bit more of, of a receiver just because Elijah Mitchell is back and Christian McCaffrey's a great running back as well. But I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that um, if the Niners want to be reach their offensive potential, that means more from Debo Samuel because he's just such a unique weapon. If they want to be explosive and physical, they might need to get more Debo in. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the 415ers. We appreciate you tuning in three times a week, as always. Evan Giddings with Mark Grandy. Uh, we'll be coming at you on Friday for a preview of the upcoming Monday night football game against the Arizona Cardinals. Should hopefully have some updates for you from Colorado Springs where the Niners are practicing. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's going to talk to the media. I imagine we'll hear from some of those offensive weapons that we've tossed around in today's episode. So we'll have some updates for you on that. But in the meantime, go download, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and we will talk to you on Friday. Appreciate everyone. Take it easy.